I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing I was behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what it For what is it in which you were inferior to the other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Okay, so let's look at what he's talking about here. A couple things I want you to see. First of all, he's going to reflect upon his boasting. And so Paul tells them that they are responsible for his foolish boasting. Now remember, let's just stop for a moment. Think back for a moment. What did Paul boast about? Yeah, his weaknesses, his afflictions. So it's not like he's boasting about his credentials. He's bo- Well, he is boasting about his credentials. He's boasting about the credentials of what he's going through. He would see those as credentials. Somebody else would say, that's not credentials. We want to hear what you accomplished. We want to hear what, you, what your background is, what you studied, who you met, who you know. And Paul says, you know, he wasn't going to engage in that, but he still saw even just talking about his weaknesses as something foolish for him to do. But he says, look, you are the guys who compelled me to do it. You're the guys who compelled me to boast in this way. And so then as you look at verse 11 again, he wants them to give a response, and that's this. They should recognize that he was equal to the other apostles. See, this is the issue that's going on here. Paul is an apostle, but but he's not necessarily recognized as an apostle by these folks from Jerusalem. He's not necessarily recognized as an apostle by these folks from Jerusalem because he was not part of who? Yeah, the original twelve. Of course, one of the twelve died by his own hand, and who was that? Judas. And then he was replaced by Matthias. And the qualifications for Matthias to become an apostle was is that he had to have been with Jesus from what? From the beginning and had to have been witness and heard all the things that Jesus had taught and so forth. And so because Paul's not part of that original 12, they're saying that he doesn't have the credibility that he says he does. Now Paul's saying, guys, you need to, you need to acknowledge, you need to recognize that I'm equal with the other apostles. Now, I want you to notice his humility, though. Look with me at uh, verse 11 again. In nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am what? Nothing. So, do you see his humility there? He's saying, I'm equal to them, but does he toot his horn that he's equal to them? Does he wear that like a badge of honor? No, not really. It's not something he's going around bragging about. In fact, if anything, he says, I'm nothing. I'm the least of the apostles. No, I'm the least of the apostles. And so he's wanting them to recognize that. Now, here's how Paul says, you know an apostle. Verse 12. Look at verse 12 and I'll give you the point. Truly, the signs of the apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So the evidence of apostleship among them, he proved his apostleship by performing miraculous signs among them. Listen, can I be honest with you? After these apostles died, 
There, there are no more apostles. How do we know that? How do we know that there are no, no more apostles? Although some people claim to be apostles. Okay, nobody else walked with Jesus. Okay, what else? But there's something here in this verse that he says was accomplished. Yeah, signs and wonders. Now, let me just explain something to you. You'll have guys who will claim to you that they that the signs and wonders are for today. How many of you have heard that type of thing? Can I be honest with you? What are they talking about? What, what are they talking about? Because when you look at the book of Acts, and you see the things the apostles did, do you see that kind of stuff today? Is that evident today? For instance, remember when Paul was shipwrecked and he was gathering wood and something grabbed a hold of his wrist. Anybody remember from the book of Acts? Well, it wasn't a scorpion, a poisonous snake. And everybody watched him on that island to say, oh, this must have been a sinner. Because again, this bad things are happening. This is somebody who must have done something wrong. And they expected him to drop dead any moment. What did he do? Yeah, he just shook it off and kept on going. You know, how many of you have seen that happen around here lately? Or, for instance, raising someone from the dead. Anybody raise anybody from the dead lately? We would love to raise people from the dead, would we not? But here's what I'm trying to say to you. Be very careful when you hear people talking about signs and wonders today. Does God, now let me just stop for a moment. Does God do miracles? Yes. Can God do the miraculous? Yes. I'm not going to put God in a box. But I'm going to tell you right now, the type of things that the apostles did. Now, why do you think they were given that ability? Yes, why do you think they were given them the signs? What was, what was the purpose? Yeah, so that people would know they were from God. Did you hear what Bruce said? So that people would, it would validate their ministry, validate their message. For instance, just another sign of the apostle. We've talked about it before. Uh, have you ever noticed that when the apostles tend to rebuke someone, people can't see anymore? They're struck with blindness. Peter's done that. Paul's done that. Have you ever noticed that? That that's the kind of authority and signs and wonders they're able to do? Now, I know a lot of guys who would like to have that kind of authority. But we don't have that kind of authority, do we? There's no pastor, no minister, no whatever today that has that kind of authority just to speak the word and, I don't like you, Mike. Boom. Blind. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't like your attitude. You know, boom. You know. Those are the, those are the things the apostles did. Nobody could do that. Do you understand? Nobody can do that. So Paul's saying to them, and listen, probably they're the only ones who could do it in their midst there, the Corinthians. 2,000 years ago. They're the only ones who could do it then. And Paul says, look guys, I was among you. And you know that that the apostles are able to do things. And guess what I did when I was with you? Guess what I did when I was with you? Listen, think back to Ephesians for a moment. Excuse me, the book of Acts. When Paul was in Ephesus, it talked about Paul's time in Ephesus and that how people would get healed just from the shadow of Paul falling on them. Just from the shadow. Or they would want his, uh, you know, they, they, they were talking about certain rags there. They would take rags from Paul. His sweat rags. Like his handkerchief that he wiped his sweat off. 
they would take that. How many of you know people like that today? That, you know, just the shadow of them. Just, I'll put my shadow on you there. You feel better? Ah, come on. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Do you you see what I'm saying? Just the shadow of you. It doesn't work that way, does it? That was the sign of an apostle among them. And so he says, guys, he proved his apostleship by performing miraculous signs among them. Hey, can I be honest with you? These guys who came up from the south, who came up from Jerusalem, these teachers who were among them, chances are they couldn't do that. Probably no chances to it. All they could do is just boast. See, it's the difference between actions and words, right? It's the difference between action and words. Paul spoke, but rather than... Let's stop for a moment. Think about this. What was the number one thing that they were accusing Paul of? That they didn't like about Paul? That he couldn't what? He wasn't an eloquent speaker. Because these other guys, boy, they could wax eloquent. You know, they could talk the paint off the wall over there, you know. And so, Paul says, you know, I'm not an eloquent speaker, but guess what I did among you? Now, who would you listen to? A fancy talker? Or somebody who shows, like he did, signs and wonders, the validity of what he was saying. You, you see what I'm saying? Because they, they were not... You know, they weren't right. They were just the boasting thing. And Paul says, look, this is the mark. I am equal to the other apostles, even though I'm not nothing. And I did the signs among you. I did the signs among you. Now, here's the only difference between he and the rest of the twelve. Here's the only difference, he tells us, verse 13, between he and the other apostles. Look at verse 13. I'll read it for you. Notice what he says. For what is it in which you were inferior to the other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Anybody know what was the difference? Yeah, he didn't take any support from them. And notice what he says. Forgive me for not doing that. You're going, forgive him? We wouldn't forgive him. We'd be like, yeah. But for some reason, that was an issue with the Corinthians. See, the only way that, here's what he said. The only difference in his apostleship was is that he refused to burden them. That was the difference between his apostleship and the others. When he came in, because understand something, there was a protocol. It was an accepted protocol. When, the, when ministers came, in fact, Third John is a good book for you to understand. Third, third John talks about two different people there. One is Diotrephes, and, and John is going to come and deal with him because he refuses to offer hospitality to the visiting brethren. There's another gentleman that's mentioned there. I, his mind slips, his name slips me right now. And he does offer, he does entertain the visiting brethren with hospitality. See, there was a custom in that day when someone came to your church, especially a teacher or someone, that it was your responsibility as a church to take care of that individual's needs while he was with you. Now, of course, they did say later on, 
that uh, there were some documents that were that kind of gave protocol among the churches that said if he stayed longer than two weeks, kick him out. He's a freeloader. Kick him out. He's a freeloader. So they, even then they knew, okay, some guys might be sapping off of us. But here's how you know. Now, Paul says, unlike the other guys who adhere to the protocol, adhere to the tradition of you taking care of them when they came, when they came to your place, I didn't do that. I refused to be a burden to you. And if you were offended by that, Please forgive me. I want you to think about it, because he already talked about this before. Remember our lesson, gullibility and integrity? The integrity of Paul was is that he would not receive anything from them so he could minister to them. They were offended by the fact that Paul wouldn't take their money. They were offended by the fact that Paul wouldn't take their money. And so, what we see here then is, is that that's the difference of his apostleship. Now, when we get to verse 14 through 18 now, He's going to talk a little bit more about his refusal to burden them. So let's look at verse 14 through 18. Now for the third time, I am ready to come to you. I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls though more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. But be that as it may, I do not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did he not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Okay, so let's notice now. He wants to. He's, he says, "I'm going to come visit you guys, but I'm not going to be a burden to you." So he explains that a little bit. So first of all, his plan for a third vi- visit. Paul told them that he was ready to come to them for a third visit. Now remember, just a, just a little bit ago, the brethren were accusing him of saying, "Who's this Paul? He's never going to come visit us." Blah blah blah. Paul says, "You know what? I am coming. I'm getting ready to come visit you." I'm getting ready to come deal with some things. And remember, he told them that he wanted them to deal with some things before he showed up so that his trip may be joyous instead of serious because if they didn't deal with it, he would have to deal with it when he got there. And I told you that's a serious thing. Remember, we just talked about it here a moment ago. What were the apostles able to do? Signs and wonders. The miraculous. So, do you think he would be able to handle anything? In the church, disciplinary issues? Probably a lot better than we could, huh? And so he's saying, I'm, I, I'm, he's ready to come to them for a third visit. Now, the next thing I want you to see is, he stated that he would not burden them for support. He's just telling them right up front, guys, when I come to you, you are not going to do anything for me. I am not going to take anything from you. I'm not going to require anything from you. That is not the reason why I'm coming. Don't do anything. Don't do anything for me. So he refused to burden them. Now here's the example he gives in verse 14. He gives the examples of parents and their relationship with children. 
So look with me at verse 14. Look what it says there, the last part of verse 14. It says, For children ought not to lay up for their parents, but the parents for their children. Here's what he's saying. Paul points out that no parent would burden his children. Now, of course, he's making a general statement here, because you probably obviously know some parents that sap off their kids. Maybe you're one of them. Your, 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 your mentality is, is my kids are for me. That's not what his, that's not what the attitude is. Paul says that's not a natural thing. A natural thing is that you as a parent are going to do what for your children? You're going to do what you can for your kids. And he says, so when I come to you, it's just like a parent-child relationship. Just like a parent-child relationship. And the aspect of that parent-child relationship is, is that you don't need to do anything for me. I'm coming to do for you. Some of you have older kids now. When you go to them, do you expect them to take care of you? No, that's not the natural way. And so Paul says, look, this is what I'm talking about here. Paul points out that he would not burden them as a parent wouldn't burden their children. In fact, he's going to tell them exactly what he would do for them. Look at verse 15. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says this, And I will will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. What's he saying here? Paul points out that he would give of himself for their needs. Let me just stop for a moment. What does that say to you about the Apostle Paul? How concerned is he for them? Yeah, he's very concerned for them. He would glad and know something. Is it a, is it a reluctance? Is it kind of like an attitude? Well, if I got to do it, I'll do it for you. Is that what you sense there with the Apostle Paul? No. In fact, what you sense there is is that somebody who's willing to sacrifice for them. Willing to sacrifice his own needs for them. For their betterment. In our grace group Thursday, we were going through the Beginning in Christ Together series. And the speaker at the beginning of the segment, they usually have an interview at the beginning before they begin the new series, was talking, he's a professor of Bible or theology at Fuller. Theological Seminary. And he was talking about his dean. And usually when you're a dean of a school like that, that's a very prestigious thing. And normally, he was saying deans will focus on their own fame or their own accomplishments and everything. But he was talking about his dean and that his dean sacrificed everything that could come to him for the sake of all the other professors under him so that they could receive recognition, so that they could receive whatever. And that just struck me, because that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about here. You know, if anybody deserved it, pampered treatment, anybody deserved everything, it would have been the Apostle Paul, right? But here he is, he comes among them and says, guys, I'm going to be like a parent to you. Children don't do stuff for their parents. Parents do stuff for their children. And I will gladly most gladly sacrifice of myself for your souls, for your spiritual well-being. Isn't that a great? Isn't that a great thought? As a, as a boy, isn't that a, isn't it, isn't that an awesome thought of a guy like that? Shouldn't all of our churches have pastors like that? Shouldn't they? Where the thought of the guy who's who's there is not of his own, but of who? 
but of everybody else. See, that's the example. Now, let me just stop for a moment. What does that tell you about the Corinthians? Because we've been talking about it now for the last several weeks. Listening to the Apostle Paul giving his credentials. Listening to the Apostle Paul talking about what he's endured for them. Listening to the Apostle Paul talking about how he treats them and his actions towards them. What does that, and understand something, he's talking about his third visit now, so he's been with him two times before. What does that tell you about the Corinthians? They're weak. What else? Selfish, stubborn. Anybody else? Because, I mean, their thinking is a little what? Yeah, it's distorted. It's messed up. And and how did it get distorted? It didn't get distorted by the Apostle Paul. What happened to them? Yeah, they were listening to false teachers, which means that they were what? Deceived. Deceived. Now, there's a lesson in that for you. Even in spite of all of the truth that's laid out there, even in spite of what they've seen themselves, even in spite of their personal action with them, you can get deceived where that no longer makes sense. And you begin to question what's right as if it's wrong. Isn't that what they're doing? What's scary about that? Before we bag the Corinthians, what's scary about that? Yeah, Mike says it can happen to anybody. Could it happen to you? And does it have to be something overt? Like if some guy walked in here all of a sudden and started spouting off some wrong stuff, immediately we would say, oh, you're out of here, man. You're wrong. Get out of here. We would immediately recognize and say, you're out of here. But is that how it usually happens? No. Gene, what did you say? Very subtle. Yes, subtle. Subtle. It's a subtle thing. Because here's the thing. Oh, I just got to make this point. Some of you have experienced this firsthand. Let's just talk for a moment about how we pick pastors. How do we pick pastors in our circle of churches? Okay, we look at their what? Resume, all right. Where they went to school, where they went to school, and uh, so forth, what their credentials are. What were you saying, Marilyn? How they preach. We might have a question and answer with them, and so we will listen to their what? Their theology, their presentation, how they answer their questions. Now, here's the problem. Could somebody, just because somebody went to the right school, does that mean they're okay? You know, like, for instance, like Liberty University right now has close to 10,000 students on there. I'll just be honest with you, not every one of them is a saint. Not every one of them who in a theology, who's studying theology or pastoral ministries is good. So you can't really go by where they go to school, can you? I mean, that's, an, that's a good indicator, though. You want to understand the kind of training they got. What about a sermon? Can you go by a sermon? Does anybody remember the March Daily Bread? Was a was a was a little thing. I think it was on the 24th of March. Joe Stoll wrote it, talking about the preacher who preached at the church, and he gave a really resounding message. And they they uh, they called him as their pastor. Then when he came the next Sunday, he preached the very same sermon. Then the Sunday after that, he preaches the very same sermon again. And then the third Sunday, you guys will remember the Daily Bread now, okay? The third Sunday after that, he preaches the, and then finally they go to him and he says, well, when you guys, when you, when that message comes home to roost, I'll move on to a new message. You know? So you can't go by messages, can you? What about question and answer time? Why? 
Yeah, if he's going to tell you what you want to hear. Can you read a man's motives? Okay, everybody here, I want you to focus, just kind of focus on trying to contemplate what Mike's thinking in his cranium right now. Chocolate cake, he says. Okay. Can everybody here know what Mike's thinking? Can everybody do that here? No. No, we can't. Can we know each other? We can kind of guess motives, but can we truly know our motives? Can you guess why a guy would come to your church? You would think, because in our circle of churches, that it's because we feel the guy is called of God and this is where God wants him to be, blah, blah, blah. Right? Is that necessarily true? See, here's the point. We say, where are we going with all this, George? Here's my point. A lot of times you've got to be so careful. And prayer needs to be poured into the thought of who's going to be your pastor. Because you could get a guy who's really a wolf. And he's got, a, uh, he's got a reason why he's coming. And he'll say what he says to you. So, like, if you ask him a question during question time, so uh, tell me, what do you think about this? Well, I personally believe that, but I will never bring that up in church and teach you that. Yeah, right? You say, well, we wouldn't even call the guy. Uh-uh. You want to bet? If you really liked him, if he really preached good or whatever, for some reason we think, well, we can trust him. He won't do that. Guess what happens when he starts teaching there then? What does he start teaching? Whatever he said that he wasn't going to teach. See, there's an important point here. You and I have to be so careful about who we call as our what? Leaders. Because the deception is so subtle. And when it happens, what you once believed in, you now don't believe in. And you might think it's wrong. It can happen so subtly. So subtle. So subtle. You've got to be so careful about who you pick. And see, that's what happened to the Corinthians. Is that the Corinthians, they had the apostle with him. They saw the things he did. He even said, look, you saw me. He said, you know, I wasn't a burden to you. And what, now they're questioning his credentials? And why were they questioning his credentials? Because they were listening to the lies of others. Okay, let's go on. The attitude of some of the Corinthians. Here's the attitude. Some of the Corinthians thought Paul was merely tricking them by his actions. Can you believe this? I mean, he just shared with them what he has gone through. Oh, yes, I purposely allowed myself to be flogged many times, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, so that when I come, I could deceive you into feeding me. Yeah, and not take, and not take your money. Yeah, I purposely decided not to take your money because I'm here to deceive you. Think about, think about where these Corinthians are at. Some of the Corinthians thought Paul was merely tricking them. You say, can they, be, are they for real? Look, you just need to turn on your TV set. Watch some of the guys on there. Don't watch the guys. Watch the audiences. And you would figure, you know, you know, if I drove up to church every week in a Rolls Royce, and I kept talking to you about how you guys need to give, 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 give. Would you? Yes, I need bodyguards too. 
I'll pick Bruce. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Be packing, Bruce. Okay. All right. Now, now here's my question. Would you? Answer truthfully, would you? No. That's exactly right, Bruce. Because, wait a minute, did the guy start out driving a Rolls Royce? Yes, you see, it doesn't start out that way. It starts out a subtle thing. But what I want you to do is look at the audience. Hey, can I tell you? Every one of you said no right now. Given the right guy, the right personality, right delivery, right charisma, you could do the same thing too, couldn't you? Couldn't you? Couldn't you? Got to be so careful, isn't it? You got to be in the. You hear what Mike said? You got to be in the Word. You got to be in the Word. You got to be in the Word. And so some of them thought that Paul was merely tricking them. And then notice what Paul says. His past record. Paul pointed out the fact that he and others sent by him had not taken advantage. They hadn't taken advantage of him. He pointed out that, man, I didn't take advantage of you. The guys I sent to you didn't take advantage of you. We purposely chose not to. So then notice verse 19 through 21. We're going to finish up real quick here. Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall... Be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceit, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have not, who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, lewdness which they have practiced. So let's look at several things here. Paul pointed out, Paul is saying to them that his purpose, and his purpose was that they may grow spiritually. This is why he's coming. He's coming to them so that they could grow spiritually. Hey, let me just mark it down. This is the purpose for ministry. The pastor's foremost purpose for ministry is for you to grow what? Spiritually. So that you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here's his fear, though. He's afraid of something that when they come. Notice what he's feared of. He fears that he will find that they have not changed. He's afraid that when he shows up, that they're not going to be changed. They're not going to be changed at all. That they're going to keep right on with their, their silly actions, with their silly attitudes, with their silly whatever. He's afraid of their, act, of their attitudes and stuff. But that's not only a thing he's fearful of. Here's the next thing. Paul also feared that they would not change in their view of him. He's afraid that when he shows up, they're still going to be deceived by these other guys concerning his credibility. He also feared that they would not change in their view of him. And then notice the final aspect of his fear had to do with their actions. Paul also feared that they would be marked by sin. Here, let me just put a quick point here. You want to know what the danger of legalism is? As long as you, if you're caught up in legalism, and as long as you think that as long as I'm doing a few things, maybe carrying the right Bible, going to church all the time, maybe giving, maybe dressing the right way, listening to the right music, or whatever, as long as you're caught up in legalism, that gives you an excuse to do what? Anything else you want to do. 
Because as far as you're concerned, all God's concerned about is whether or not I come to church. All God's concerned about whether or not I carry the right Bible or how short my hair is or what kind of clothes I'm wearing. And as long as I am as long as I am doing those things, I can do whatever else I want to do because I'm okay with God. And see, that's what he's afraid of here. He's afraid that they're going to be marked by sin. Why? Because they were listening to these Judaizers who are what? Legalists. 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 That's the danger of legalism. The danger of legalism. So finally, here's his grief. Paul's grief. Paul was grieved at the prospect of having to exercise discipline among them. You and I might say, man, they deserved it for their attitudes. But Paul says, look, just the thought of having to come and deal with you folks and discipline you folks grieves me. That's where he's at. Okay, next week we're going to look at his final words. Chapter 13, just 14 verses. And then we will be done with 2 Corinthians.